Hey, well, thank you, Amos. Amos is um, one of our elders here at the church, in case you don't know that. Um, we'll be filling in as elder chair for the remainder of the year when Greg comes off in that role to, uh, to step into leadership here. Amos will also be preaching for the next six weeks. <laughs> sure. Well, thank you for making your way here. Uh, if you're listening online later, thank you for listening online later. We're glad to have you. We're in part three of a series that we're calling Good to Know, simply because there's some things that we think in the book of Proverbs that are, quite frankly, good to know. And what we've done in the last couple of weeks is kind of pulled our chair up to the table with Solomon and his son, and he's pulled the son in a little bit. He said, son, come sit down. Let me tell you something. There's some things you should know about life and how it works, and these are going to be good for you to know. And so he begins talking to him about the value of wisdom. And so I want to, from the jump, invite you to turn in a Bible if you have it, or open up your phone or your tablet, or there's a Bible in the pew around you to grab that. And we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. Uh, the Proverbs uh, is kind of in the middle of your Bible. Psalms is right in the middle, and then just to the right of that is the book of Proverbs. And as you're turning to chapter 3, I'll just kind of bring you up to speed if you don't know where we've been. But Solomon has kind of pulled his son in, in the first couple of verses, he's, he's told him about the value of wisdom. And what we said about the value of wisdom from day one is that wisdom is invaluable because it's a renewable resource which offers ever-increasing rates of return. He's kind of said, son, I want you to pursue wisdom. Like, it's going to get better with age, and it's actually going to get both deeper and wider. Like, it'll be a really valuable thing for you to do to pursue wisdom. And then last week, in a section of scripture that if you're familiar with the church or you've been around Bible people or in church for a long time, you might have memorized these verses before. And these verses in 3, 5, and 6 say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your, and some of you can finish that, on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And what we said last week is that who you trust actually shapes the quality and the direction of your life. Not just who you know or what you do, but actually who you trust who you trust, who you lean into to receive and act on their advice and their perspective. It's who you trust that actually shapes the quality and direction of your life. So Solomon's talking with the son at the table. He's like, son, trust in the Lord. Don't just lean in your own understanding. And he will make your path straight. Now let me ask you something. Have you ever had advice for someone near you who was doing something that you thought they shouldn't do? You ever have advice for a, a classmate or a child, a son or a daughter, or maybe a brother or sister, or maybe even a boss? Like, here, listen, if you want to know how to take this company here, if you want to know how to handle this person, if you want to know who you should date, you want to ask me, I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, I know you didn't ask me, but I'm going to tell you. The advice that we have is generally, we think, pretty good advice. And when we have ideas and we have things that we think people should do, why did they spend their money on that? I can't believe they're, they're dating them. They're really going to marry them? Are you kidding? I saw that coming a mile away. Because we knew what would happen when they did what they did. If only they would have followed our advice, then what would have happened? They would have had success. Like Their paths would have been straight. Like When you follow good advice, and we think our advice is usually pretty good, when you follow advice that we think is good, then generally you have success in life. And Solomon knows that. And so today, he's going to kind of get up in his son's business a little bit. And so this morning with you, I'm going to follow Solomon's lead, not to get in your business because it's a lot of fun, but this message goes not just at idea level, not just the philosophy anymore, not even just at the values, but today we're going to talk about habits. And that has a different feel to it. When you talk about habits, very quickly it's going to feel like we're getting up in your business a little bit today. But Solomon does that from the jump. He's 
gone through the first part, the second part, and now in verses 9 and 10 in Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon gets right up in his son's business and makes it very personal. And look what he says there in, in, uh, in your Bible, if you have it open now. He says, after he's done talking about big ideas, he says, Solomon, or he said to his son, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Solomon knows that, son, if you follow the things that I'm telling you to do, if you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your understanding, like if you pursue wisdom, you're actually going to make good decisions. And if you make good decisions that are fiscally responsible, if you see the right people, connect to the right people, leave the wrong things and do the right things, by and large, by and large, you will lead a successful life. In fact, you will have a prosperous life. In fact, you will likely make more money. You will likely be more successful, quote-unquote, than if you do not do these things. Because if you follow good advice, generally, good things happen, generally. So Solomon gets right up in his business now and says, let me talk to you. Let me talk to you about how you're going to handle the things that you have the opportunity to manage. Let me talk to you about your financial Habits, son. And so he immediately draws it down, immediately goes from big picture idea. Now let me talk, not just big ideas, not just trusting, you know, following and wisdom. I'm going to talk to you, son, about how you handle your money. And we're going to have the conversation. I'm going to tell you something about it that's going to challenge you that you're going to push back on if you're normal. But I'm going to tell you why I think you should do it. And so he says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. And I want this morning... By the time I'm done, I want you to have had an opportunity to figure out why would Solomon say this here and now, and why is this of benefit to me to consider, to add or strengthen a habit that you may currently have. And here's what we know about habits. Um, habits both reveal and reinforce values. I don't know if you thought about this before, but think about habits with me for a minute. They reveal and reinforce values. So if I were to open up my calendar to you and what I did this past week, you would see some things that were habits of mine. And one of those habits that many of you know I enjoy doing is I enjoy riding my, my bike, my bicycle. Pedal, power, not motorcycle. But I enjoy doing that. And there are times when I have to schedule that into my calendar to make that happen. So a couple times this week I was out on the bike. And you look at my calendar and you'd say, okay, he's working this time, he was with the family this time, and he was on the bike this time. And you could look at that and you'd be like, mm-hmm, he values this, he values this, he values this, because my habits reveal my values. I might tell you, if I tell you I enjoy riding a bike, but you look at my calendar, you're like, man, this, this dude never rides, rides a bike. They none value, because habits reveal that. But habits also, and you know this is true, habits reinforce values. So there are times, and you've experienced this, when you're like, you know what, I should really work out. I should really go for a run. I should hit the gym. I should do this. I should, you know, I should stop eating that third piece of cake at the cake and steak or steak and cake. What is it? Steak and shake? Anyway, on Sunday, like I should, I should kind of get that together and not do that. But all of a sudden, like I go work out when I don't feel like doing it. And what do I feel? Better. And I'm reminded this is why I value working out because my habit of doing something that I don't want to actually do reinforces the value of doing it. So the actual act of doing it, the habit of doing it, reinforces, yes, this needs to stay important for me. You may have experienced this in a relationship with somebody. Maybe you're married and you forgot you should still do dates. And over time, you're like, you know, we need to reconnect as a couple. And you reconnect and you're like, hmm, that habit is good because it reminds me that I value her and I value 
him. Habits both reveal, but also reinforce values. And sometimes we do habits even though we don't feel like doing them. And the benefit of the habit is it reinforces, yes, 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 this is actually important to me. And so Solomon sets up to his son, son, I want you to create some financial habits. And here's what I think about financial habits. You can agree or disagree on this, but I'm going to tell you what I think. I think financial habits are actually like a panoramic window into the entire value system of your heart and soul. In fact, I don't think there's a value that you hold that is not impacted by how you view and how you handle your resources. Like, I can't think of one. In fact, if you value compassion on people, how are you going to spend your money but on the needs of the people around you? If you value hospitality, when I come to your house, you will have spent more on hospitality than someone who's like, oh, there's people coming? Like, if you value, if you value faith and church and Christ, like, you're going to end up giving and supporting causes along those lines. If you value exercise, you're going to spend on clothing, accessories, gym memberships, whatever. Like I, if you value a relationship, you're going to spend and manage on that relationship. I can't think of a single thing that the world of finances does not impact. And so when you look at your finances, when I look at mine, and when Solomon pulls up the chair with the sense of son, come to the table for a minute. I want, you to, I want to talk with you about a habit. No longer just about values. I want to talk about a habit, a financial habit. Because every value you have gets seen through the world of how do I handle my finances. Now, I learned something a couple, um, maybe years ago. You may already know this, but I learned about the idea of a keystone habit. Some of you have heard about keystone habits, some habits, but not, not all habits are created equal. Keystone habits are actually habits that are key and central to your life that impact other habits. So when you take these keystone habits out, several other things around your life kind of fall apart. So I have a habit, for example, of getting up early in the morning and I'll, do, I'll drink a hot drink at home. And so I don't do coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker. Um, often it's a little kind of homemade cappuccino thing that I'll do. Not a real cappuccino. I don't like real cappuccinos, but the cheap, fake cappuccinos, that's my, that's my drink, okay? So often I'll do that. That's not a keystone habit. That's just a thing I do. Like, it is a habit, but it's not created equal. Like, I brush my teeth all the time, mostly. One, one could say that's a keystone habit, but not, not really. Keystone habits are the kind of habits that when they're gone, a variety of other things are impacted by that. And I would, put, I would put cycling in that for me. And here's why. Because when I exercise and when I get out, sometimes on my own, sometimes in groups, and when I ride, it impacts almost every other part of my life. It actually impacts, believe it or not, it impacts my relationship with God. I can't tell you how many times I've been praying with my eyes open, mostly, uh, on the bike. and been just talking to God, processing things that I wasn't planning to process, and all of a sudden I come home like, and I'm refreshed from having spent half an hour, an hour out working out on the bike and pushing it hard or whatever I might need to do. When I do not work out on a consistent basis, I feel more sluggish, I feel lazy, I feel more impatient with my family, I feel greater stress at work because I just can't get rid of it, and then I get angry that I can't get out to do this. And it impacts so many levels that when I do not keep and manage and calendar a consistent time to do this, other things start kind of falling apart. Your financial habits and my financial habits are, no question in my mind, a keystone habit. How you and I handle the finances that we have creates so many, is tied into so many other pieces of your life and my life. And so when Solomon pulls up the chair with his son, it's like, son, come here, I want to tell you something. Honor the Lord with your wealth. He said, I want you to do something with this. I want you to, to honor. 
Yeah, I want you to do this. Because Solomon knows what Aristotle knew, and, and Aristotle, we think, uh, said this. We're not quite sure. But, but Aristotle put it this way. He said about habits, he said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act but a habit. Like, this is the reality. I think we know this. Like, excellence is not the result of someone just being motivated to do something one time. That never works. But we are what we repeatedly do. And so when, when we keep doing the things that we know we should do, and we keep doing the values that we have deep in our hearts, that's when we become excellent at something. And Solomon says, come here, son, sit down. Let's talk for a minute. You should pursue wisdom. You should trust the right people. But now I'm going to get up in your business a little bit. I want you to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Let's talk about this for a minute. When, when Solomon said honor, this Hebrew word for honor actually means weight. And so if you can imagine coins, real coins, like you, uh, people actually, no, not PayPal, not credit card, but real money. You know what real money looks like? You know, actually, you can feel it, you can touch it, you can pass it on. So he's like, honor, I want you to imagine a scale and, and take like real coins that actually weigh something and I want you to put them on the scale that's commensurate with the weight of what you value over here. And so if you value the Lord, if you honor him, then weigh it appropriately. Don't, don't just give two cents over here and think that God is actually worth a million dollars for you. That doesn't work out. The scales don't balance. And it's this image of honor, give weight, give proper weight to the Lord with your wealth. And then he says, with the first fruits of all your crops. You know, this is about priorities. And the suggestion here is strong for Solomon and his son, and this is where it kind of gets up into his business a little bit. What he's saying is, Solomon, when you get all this, I mean, son, when you get an unnamed son, it'd be nice if he had a name. Unnamed son. When you get all the stuff you get, when you get your first paycheck, when you get your third paycheck, when you, when you get, you know, retirement income, when your business is growing and you're seeing sales go out the, the roof here, man, come on, come on. The first part of that that comes home should go to the Lord. The best part of that should go to the Lord. Before you do anything else with it, but the, the first and best should go to the Lord and honor the Lord that way. Why would you do that? Because habits reveal and reinforce values. Because if you've ever sat down and said, God, take my heart. I want to follow you with all that I have. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I want to follow you with all that I have, that you are worth everything to me. Then the financial habits have to follow suit with that, that God, you are actually everything to me. Like you've given me everything that I have, and I want to consistently create the habits that give back to you all that you mean to me. I want to weigh that commitment appropriately. I want to give to you the first and the best, not the leftovers. And so in my paycheck, in your paycheck, in the, in the resources that we have, in what Solomon's son has, he just gets right up on him. Solomon, listen, he said to his son, I know that you're going to want to spend your first part of your paycheck on your, your bills. I know you're going to, listen, you, you like to buy clothes, man. I know you live in the palace with me and you like to buy stuff. I get that. Don't do that. The first part of what you get, come on, the first part of what you get, I want you to give back to God. And the reason is because I want you to be miserable. No, that's not the reason at all. The reason is because habits reinforce values. Because when you don't actually feel like doing it, and yet you do it anyway, it reminds you of what was most important to you in the first place. If you're here just visiting this morning, like, cool, we found a church that um, always talks about money. I heard that. Churches talk about money a lot. And, you know, they just had a capital campaign, and they didn't quite meet it. So now the pastor's up there telling people they should give more. And... <laughs> You're right. That's the exact plan. That's exactly what we're 
trying to do. So this has nothing to do with any of that. In fact, I don't, the benefit to me is I don't feel that any of this, the answer to this is not the church needs your money. This has never been the issue. In fact, this has been God's prerogative before the church even was founded. I mean, all the way back, and I want to kind of invite you to turn, keep your finger in Proverbs, but go back in your Bible to the left a little bit to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 26, and you're going to see the principle that God has given even there, but this idea of first fruits. This is historical. This is just the way God functions with his people. It has always been to kind of get after our hearts a little bit and kind of get up in our financial business because it matters to him. It matters about how we work this out. And so Deuteronomy 26 is a great piece of history, and it's an important part of the history of Israel here. Deuteronomy 26, verse 1. And here we read, When you have entered the land, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and taken possession of it and settled in it. Pause. You see what's happening? Context, quick. Nation of Israel. After you've been looking forward to taking the promised land, you finally get to the promised land. This is a big moment. This is actually generational. There have been people who have died over this. Your grandparents have died over this. People have been wandering around the desert forever. You've been waiting forever about this. You have uncles and aunts who have kind of been impacted. This has been a huge, long wait. When you finally get there, when you finally get to the inheritance, you finally get to the land, you can finally unpack, and you can settle down. You finally can breathe. Ah, God, we are here. That's the first thing that I want you to do. Look at verse 2. Once you've settled in, taken possession, settled in, you are now ready to take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket and then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give to us. And then he goes on in verses 4 through 9 to kind of talk about the history of the nation of Israel, how they were redeemed from Egypt. And then skip forward to verse 10 for, for me again. Verse 10. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. This reminder that I am giving back the things that I didn't actually own in the first place. It's an ownership issue. It's a reminder in this giving that I have been given this. And then place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him and you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household, that it results in worship. That there's something in the heart that this giving, it, yes, it's sacrificial. It's this idea, man, seriously, the first fruits, like the first part? Like, is that off a of gross or off a of net? Can I get an answer on that, please, somewhere? Okay. Give the first fruits, the first and the best to God. Why? <laughs> so that you can remember what God has done and that you can have a moment to rejoice in his good kindness and his good favor. This is a historic piece. And so Solomon brings us back to his son and says, keep doing the things that you know got you there. We tell this to people who are getting married all the time, right? Like if you're getting married, we tell people, don't stop dating your spouse. Like that's just dumb. Like you got married because you were spending time with each other, you enjoy being with each other, and don't get out of the habit of doing the thing that got you there in the first place. If your business is successful, like it was successful for a reason, and don't, now that you're successful, don't stop doing the things that got you successful in the first place. If you're a high customer service company and that's what really set you apart, man, just don't stop doing that. 
If you're innovative in an area, don't stop doing it. Like, keep doing the things that got you there in the first place. And, and as they take over the land, they can settle in. I mean, we, got the, we got the land. And God's first command to them, take the first fruits. I don't ever want you to forget what got you here in the first place. Give back so that you will remember that this is about God's goodness to you and God's goodness to me. And then it will result in rejoicing in your heart and worship to him. Now, Solomon says this, and he adds a little something in verse 10. So you can see, if you still have your finger in Proverbs, you can go back, or you can kind of go back in your screen, whatever you want to do. But back to Proverbs 3, that was verse 9. Then into 10, he kind of gives this big, this big promise. This is pretty big. So he says, honor the Lord of the wealth and the first fruits of all your crops. And look at verse 10. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats brim over with new wine. And who doesn't want that, right? Everyone owns a barn and a vat, so you want all that, right? I mean, look at that. That's pretty huge. It almost sounds like, man, if you do this, like, I'm going to give you more than you can handle. I mean, that's kind of what it seems like, right? Like, if you, if you do this and honor me, like, you're going to just watch out, baby. Watch out, it's coming. Like You're going to have all that you need, and you're going to actually be overflowing with, with great things. I mean, that's kind of what it seems to say. There are people who will teach this, by the way, and I just want you to know that this, the teaching that goes something like this, like give to God and he will bless you with greater abundance, is false. It's incomplete. It's incomplete is probably the best way to put it. Will, does God bless sometimes with greater abundance of people who give consistently? I'd say sure, I could say that. Because Solomon himself says later on in the Proverbs, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. But let me ask the further question, why does God refresh and give people abundance in the first place? Because the goal for God is not that any one of us will be independently wealthy. Like, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. That you were born and that your primary aim would be that you could be independently wealthy. I don't see that at all. In fact, God gives generous things to people who are generous with others so that they can continue to give back that which God has given to them. It's a strange irony that the things that you've been blessed with are actually meant to be given right back away to the people whom God loves the most in the needs of the world that we see. It's a strange, strange irony. And so this issue of, okay, Solomon, you're saying if I, dad, if I'm the son, dad, if I do this, are you telling me, you tell me, is this like the 401k? I mean, is this like if I put away 10%, 15%, and maybe kind of reevaluate that later on, that, that later in life, like God is going to give me, I'll be able to pull on the nest egg, and God's going to give me all that I need. Is that what you're saying? And, and I want to be careful that God is not to be invested in as much as he is to be honored. And, and I don't know if you thought about it this way, but it's an important point. God is not to be invested in. There are some who think that if I just give to God, and then, like he's then obligated, like my 401k might be, to give back a greater percentage to me. I put in, and then off of that, that principle, I get compound interest over time. And it can be a relationship like that, and that's terrible. Like, I will tell you, I contribute to a retirement account, but I do not have a sense of worship when I make that contribution. And when we, when we see God in this way as someone to be invested in, like, oh, if I, oh, this is the way it is. Like, if I give, then God will give back. Then it strips away the reality that this is actually a gift of service of remembering what God has given to me in the first place. It strips away this act of worship. God doesn't owe it to me. Life isn't like this. Life isn't, life isn't like a closed loop. You know what I mean by that? Like, in other words, it's not a light switch. If I do this, then the light goes on. If then, I mean, think about the person of Job, if you know that story at all. He was an incredibly wealthy man, and then all of a sudden things went haywire and went south for him in a hurry. What happened? Was he unfaithful all of a sudden? No. Did God hate him all of a sudden? No. But there was something else going on in between the relationship with Job and with God that just kind of got in that space. 
And that was Satan coming to tempt him. And I'm telling you, there's all kinds of things that come in between generosity and results from God that we can't see, we can't understand. God is not to be invested in as much as he is to be honored, but he does give good gifts to his children. Now, why does this matter for us? Here's what I think. I think that there's actually two reasons why you actually want this in your own life. What I want for you and what I want for me is I want to develop, I want to develop habits of generosity that actually give the first and best to God. And I, and I think you actually want this yourself. And, and here's why I think that. Because I think you know this is true. That generosity, not prosperity, actually changes the world. Right? Like, I think you know that. I think you've seen that. And I think you want, in your life, to be someone who actually makes an impact. Someone who actually makes a difference. And I think we know it in our head because we've seen it at funerals. That people who have been the most generous and are the most remembered make an impact on their children and their grandchildren and the communities that they serve and the world that they impact, not because they've been prosperous. No one remembers that. No one talks about that. But because they've been generous. Generosity, not prosperity, changes the world. And I think that that is a legacy that you want, and I know that's the legacy that I want. And I will tell you, that does not happen without a habit of generosity being developed to give the first and best to God. Not because the church needs your money, not because the capital campaign didn't quite nail it, but because this has been historically God's desire for our hearts over and over and over and over and over again, for century upon century upon century, because habits reveal and reinforce our values. But I also think, not only is this something that you want, I think this is something that, that Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was doing part of the Sermon on the Mount, and he talked there about where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And there he made a comment that is pretty strong. He said, no one can serve. No one can serve both God and money. Take your pick. Choose. No one can serve both God and money. So what's it, what's it going to be? We, we can't have either one. And so you're going to have to choose which one will be your master. And you know it, and I think I know it too, that the only way that you can master the desire to have more stuff, the only way I know of to master the desire to accumulate more is actually to give it away from the beginning. I don't know how else you master the desire to have money and accumulations and possessions keep rolling in other than to set up a keystone habit that says the first and best I am giving away. I will not move from this habit of generosity. Because if I don't establish this, I will be rolled over with the tide of wanting more. And I know at the end of my life, generosity, not prosperity, changes the world. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and having chased prosperity only to realize generosity is what I should have been after. And so I cannot serve both God and money and so I want to set up and establish a habit of first and best giving to God so that I can keep that in mind. Now, if I can pull up a chair with you for a minute and get personal with you and share at my table, not Solomon's table, if I could pull up a chair with you, I would just tell you this. As a family, and for Jen and I as a couple, what we've done since we've been married, we've been married uh, 20 years, Right? I knew that. 20 years. 
And so we've been doing this for a little while, not as long as some of you, but um, a decent amount of time. It's been, been great. But we have had an regularly financial conversations uh, before we got married. And, and many of you know, we just, we just work off a budget. That's the way we work. Always have done that. It's been very helpful for us. And, and a part of that is how do we make decisions financially relative to our giving? And so we've heard this language before. We've heard it for a long time, but you may not have heard it. You may have heard it. I don't know. But I want to give it to you if it's helpful to you. But this is a really, really quick and simple framework that we have just used ever since we've been even starting to date and really once we got engaged, thinking about how will our little world, our little home, kind of reflect this desire that the first and best be given to God, even through, even through seminary years, through graduate school years, when Things weren't awesome financially. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't wait for a time when you feel like you can give more. This is the point of getting up in my business a little bit. Like at every juncture and every season of life, give the first and best so you don't get rolled over with the tide of that money will master you. And so these little words are priorities for us. Give, save, spend. It's just kind of been the way that we have thought about the financial world that we're a part of. Like, first we give, and then we save, and then we spend. Really super, super duper simple for us. It's kind of the, the priority that we need to keep that stuff in mind. And so as you think about the world, your financial world, the, the habits that you're creating, if this is helpful, have it. If not, yeah, whatever. It's not from Jesus, it's just thoughts that, that we have. But this is the way that we think through it. So I want to kind of pull you up to the table in my life and let you know that we're processing the same stuff that I teach here on a Sunday morning, kind of give, save, spend. In every season of life, give, save, spend. Even when the money's not quite there, give, save, spend. The, the keystone habit, give the first and best, will reveal and reinforce the value that I actually need to figure out in this space. Do I love God or do I love money first? Habits reveal, reinforce values, no matter what. And so my hope for you, to kind of get up in this space a little bit, kind of get up in your business, not because I'm trying to annoy you, not because I want to kind of make things hard, but because I think that at the end of your life, at the end of my life, we know, we know, that the people who have made the greatest impact in this world have been the people who have been the most generous, not only with their time, but also with their resources. And Solomon pulls the chair up with his son, and the very first habit, the very first practical thing he talks about, son, if you do this, you make good decisions. You trust God with your life. You will likely make a decent amount of money. You will likely be successful. And in that success, I want you to remember what got you here in the first place. God has given you a great gift. Honor the Lord first with what comes in. And he will bless in the ways that he will bless so that you can be more generous with the ways that you can be more generous. That you can continue to give with an open hand to him. It's good to know, if you don't know it, this is how God likes to work. Next week, looking forward to having Chuck Holt speak from here while, as Amos mentioned, we are going to be away on vacation, but you guys are an encouragement to me. Thank you for being here this morning. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to step into this space of financial habits and thinking about these things, but in the truth, at the end of the day, the bottom line is that it reveals our heart, it reveals our desire to know you and to worship you. And so I would pray that you would renew in us, if we have been kind of in this space of giving, saving, spending for a lifetime, we've kind of been doing that, I pray that you would help us to step back again and look at our own giving, look at our own financial habits and ask, do these reflect the love and passion and direction that I have for my Savior right now? Is there anything that needs adjusted? 
Do I need to make any changes that these habits I have, these keystone financial habits, will direct my life so that I can keep the values in place, so at the end of life I can get to the end and know that I've gotten to the right place? Because generosity, not prosperity, changes the world. So I pray that you would help us with courage because it is a hard thing to give money away, to give resources away, to be generous when you don't feel like you have enough. And so I pray for us when we are in the space of being fearful about our possessions, afraid that if we give a percentage, give a consistent amount, you know, do this kind of thing, if we actually, actually, actually set this up and do this for real, that it would impact us, that we'd lose. We wouldn't have the privileges that we currently have. We'd have to give up habits that we currently have. I pray that you give us the courage just to look at that and see what that tells us about our heart. I pray that you give us the courage to be people who pull up to the table and ask, is this wisdom worthwhile? Is this good advice? And help us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Father, we thank you for your word and the challenge that it is. Take our life and let it be given to you in all the ways that means. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.